0: So, Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 to 15. It says, Since therefore the children share flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared the same things, so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. I'll read that again. Since therefore the children share flesh and blood, he, that's being Jesus, himself likewise shared the same things, so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death now I don't know if you've noticed but everybody in this room is made of flesh and blood yay that's great right um, so that is what we are We are. that's what makes us human we are made up of flesh and blood I think a couple of buckets worth of dirt and the rest is water apparently scientists say um, so you know go you you're mostly buckets of water you know and uh we are wonderfully and fearfully made. But I, what I want to talk to you today is some maybe something that you've never really considered or really thought of before. But this is actually ancient Christianity. There's not really so much talked about in today's church. So who, who's for a trip down memory lane? Well, those two—they're already asleep. Well done. <laughs> Great. a <sermon> started. died. <laughs> Sorry. I had it coming to me anyway. There used to be this Baptist guy that me and Tracy used to go and see. And I'd always be there, right on the front row, because I used to like want to be on the front row, because that's where the anointing was, right? But I had these big fans above us, whirling away. And uh, I'd just be sat there, and and it would be a lot hot like today, and that fan would just be whirring away on me. And that guy would be preaching, and I'd just be like... (laughs) On the front row, Tracy used to keep punching me, but yeah... Must be really encouraging for the guy, you know, every week sits on the front row and falls asleep on (laughs) me. So I'm going to tell you some things today that you might not be familiar with um, or maybe never even heard of before. But I'm going to take you. Let's start right back before the world even began. Now, I want you to think about God for a minute. Now, one of the things that I need to explain about God is he's eternal. Now, most people can't cope with that because we are finite. God is infinite. OK, so we're finite. We're limited to space and time. We're limited to natural things around us. But the, bio- uh, the, the, the theologians call God transcendent, which means he transcends natural laws and natural things. He's not bound by time. And also, God is eternal. And we're like, you know, we ask stupid questions. Don't we? we're like, uh, Who made God then? Yeah, I get that all the time. Oh my God. Okay. Right. So, okay. okay. Well, first of all, <laughs> you are, you, as a being, a human being, you are in a, in a form of linear understanding. You only understand a beginning and an end. That, that's, that's all of the concept of everything you know in life as a beginning, as an end. But they can't cope with the fact that God has no beginning or has no end. It's like, that doesn't make sense. Well, of course it doesn't make sense because you can't fathom eternity. But just because you can't get your head around something, does that mean it's not real? Just because you, you know, electricity's always been there, but then one day someone managed to discover it, but just because you can't get your head around the the, the physics behind electricity doesn't mean it's not there, does it? Just because you don't understand the physics of how a plane flies doesn't mean that planes don't fly, does it? So what I'm saying is, what you don't get or you don't understand or we don't get and don't understand does not therefore invalidate something else existing beyond our understanding. Does it? No, right. Because that's how we judge everything. It's like, well, if I don't get it, it can't be true. That's like a of it's a oh rubbish. There's loads of things that we don't get. I mean, women, I still don't get women. But... Okay, right, I'm in trouble. So anyway, so we know the story of Adam and Eve in the garden. And just before that, in eternity past, we have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And somehow, in in that perfect unity, in that perfect unison, the Father saw fit to give his Son a bride. Now, I want you to think about that. The Holy Trinity, perfect, in unity. God is the I Am. In other words he doesn't need anything from you or me he is completely self-sufficient self-contained all-knowing everything that he needs is all within himself and within that trinity that tri-unity okay and yet somehow god looked at his son and wanted to pursue a bride for his son So he created the world. Because ultimately humankind would become Jesus' bride, right? But I want you to think about this for a minute. But that could never have happened in the beginning. Because humankind, you see, you can only marry, or at least you should do, you, should, you can only marry according to your kind. Genesis has this very clear rule, every animal, each to its own kind, okay, every, every plant, every tree, everything, each according to its own kind. So how, how is it that this human race that God created in the beginning could ever become the bride of Christ? Because it's not the same kind. God is completely different from human. And it says in Psalms, is it Psalm 8 or Psalm 9? It says, what is man that you are mindful of him? You have made him a little lower than God or the angels, as as other translations say. Made him a little lower than the angels. Now, angels are powerful, powerful beings. They can do stuff that you and I can't do. They could travel so quickly. It's like a blaze of fire across the sky. Okay, they are fast and they are powerful. And yet God made us. We can't do that. We need to, like, get on a horse or... uh, Build a car, you know, just to be able to get from A to B quicker than we would if we walked. OK, I mean, that's that's how limited we are. We are very limited as beings. Yet what is man that you are mindful of him? Now, there's many that's congest- conjectured, why did Satan deceive Adam and Eve in the beginning? And throughout all of church history, everyone has been, even, even on the Jewish side of things, they've all been consistent on this one point because Satan was envious what is man that you are mindful of him, that you'll come off your throne and in the cool of the day, you'll spend time with Adam and Eve? What on earth are you doing? He's, he's not like, this is Satan speaking, he's not like me, this glorious, powerful angel. He's just this puny thing of flesh and blood. What is man that you're mindful of him? Because you see, I reckon, I'm, I'm speculating here, I reckon Satan knew something that even mankind didn't understand. He knew God was up to something. He knew something was going down. And he knew that mankind was very important in some way. And then we come to this verse here, because obviously God could, you know, we can only marry according to our kind. So there's no way that God could marry a human being or a human being could marry God. It's just not possible because you can only marry according to your kind. I appreciate most of you are like, well, Chris, the the bus left. Well, I have no idea where you're going with this. Just, just, Just hold on there for a second, okay? because this will all become really clear. And in part, this verse is revealing to us what is going on here. Since therefore the children share flesh and blood, that's the children of God, he himself likewise shared the same things so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. Now, in some peculiar way that defies our understanding, God knew that man, in his current state, could not marry his son. And so we have the story of Adam and Eve and that, that ancient story of how Satan came into the garden and deceived mankind and they fell. And I think in part that was all along God's plan because if God was going to give humanity as his bride then something has to change two things have to change one God has to do something that changes him theologically that that raises some tenuous points and mankind would have to be changed to change him And so we have this wonderful story here, which I think is the most incredible, incredulous thing to have ever happened. That God, who is immutable, that means he doesn't change. He's the unchanging, almighty God that in one moment he decided that he was going to become human. The eternal God who is forever the same. Decided to do something that had never been done in all of eternity. To actually change something where he would come into the body of a virgin and take on human flesh and be born fully as God and fully as man. That from that moment. Because God is unchanging. So something changed. We can't say God changed because God is unchanging. Unchanging. But he did something that i imagine even the angels are like what is going on here that god took on something that now he's forever altered himself so that he's always human and always god forever before the incarnation jesus was sat at the right hand of the father but we don't really know what he was but but we know that when he was born of a woman he became fully human and fully divine and when he ascended back to heaven he didn't go back to what he formerly was he is now eternally Jesus the son but is also Jesus the human and Jesus God where's my where is it there we go this is called who's up for a little bit of theology anyone, anyone? Yeah, yeah. you've woken up now okay that's good all right so this is what theologians called the hypostatic union. Okay, big word of the day, hypostatic union. Here's another one, combine harvester. Okay, so look. So a hypostatic union says that, because what, what people were c- confused about in the early days was, if Jesus, if God took on humanity, did that humanity somehow change his divinity? And did his divinity somehow change his humanity? Because if that's the case, then he's no longer God and he's no longer human. All right. So we have to come to what we call the hypostatic union. This is where two natures share the same space and time. So here I have a pencil, and here I have a cup. Okay? Now when I put this uh, pencil in the cup, they're now both sharing look at that the same space and time. The pencil is still a pencil. The cup is still a cup. The pencil hasn't become a, a, a cup, and the cup hasn't become a, a pencil okay it's still a pencil it's still a cup but they're both sharing the same space and time that is literally what happened when jesus took on flesh he is fully god and fully flesh sharing the same space and time but no at no point did that flesh affect his divinity or did his divinity affect affect his flesh so how is this going to help us with the bride of christ thing because now this is really cool So Jesus has now become like us. All right. But why did he do that? So that he can make us like him. Because let's look back to the story of Adam and Eve. When Adam was in the garden, he looked at all of these creatures and uh, there was no suitable helpmeet found for him. Which I always think is quite funny. Giraffe, she's got a bit of a long neck. Don't think that's going to work out. Um, yeah, let's not go there because it could just go weird. But anyway, so he looked around all of these animals and it's like, no, no, nothing's, nothing's good enough for me. So God's, OK, what I'll do is I'll put you to sleep and I'll make a bride for you. Now, the Hebrew word for Adam's inve- invention, if you like, the creation of Adam, is the Hebrew word bara. And that means to literally make something out of nothing. OK, there he is. Now, with Eve, it's slightly different. In the Hebrew, it says she was hand-built by God. All right. Now, I don't know about you, but every time I think of God hand-building something, I just think of this really awesome-looking sports car with all the curves in the right places, and hear that engine brrr, just hear it purr. All right. So anyway, so he invented he invented woman, right? From the side, from his side. And the first thing that Adam said when he saw her was, whoa, man, okay, because like, whoa, look at that, you know, handcrafted, hand built. She's awesome. Isn't she wonderful? Yeah, it was like, wow, look at her. So then we have that wonderful story. But you see, even marriage itself is a type, a shadow of that which is to come, which is Christ and his church. So. When Jesus was put to sleep in death on the cross, what happened to his side? It was pierced. And from the side came the blood and the water which gave birth to the church. And this is the remarkable thing, is that Jesus, who is God, took on flesh to become like us. That now, whoever believes in him by faith that he died on the cross and rose again will be born again, or the Hebrew literally says born from above, born again is a bad translation, it's born from above. In other words, born from heaven, not born of the earth. And that's why Christians are called born again when they give their life to Jesus. But born again into what? And in 1 Corinthians 15 it talks about you no longer take on the likeness of the first Adam, But Jesus, who is the second Adam, you now take on his likeness. And the Bible says that we become partakers of his divine nature. You are, or to translate it another way, you become partakers of his divinity. Right now, you can see God's master plan. God the Father was looking for a wife, couldn't find one. So he created planet Earth, sorry, created Earth. And there on the earth, <laughs> just keep the globies and the flatties happy. Oh, here we go. All right. So there on the earth, <laughs> calm down, just calm down. So there on the earth, Okay. he created humanity, which was made little lower than the angels, which in itself is no good for Jesus. It's not a good enough, it's not like him. So then Jesus became like us. And then when we believe in him through faith, it says that we are changed by the word of the seed of the word of God. In the Greek, it says sperma. The sperma of the word, the seed of the word of God, made of incorruptible seed, changes us and transform us into his image. And the Bible says going from one degree of glory to another. And as it says in 1 John, it says, as he is, so are we in this world. And when we see him, we shall become just like he is. So can you see the mystery of what God has done in eternity past? I need a wife for my son. So he created an earth and he created humanity, which weren't good enough for his son. But then his son became as one of us, that if we believe in him, we can become just like him. And then Paul says in Corinthians, he talks about marriage of a man and a woman coming together and they become one flesh. He says, of course, I'm not talking about man and woman. I'm talking about the mystery of Christ and the church. the Holy Trinity John 17 says Jesus prays for his church Lord let them be one as we are one let us be one in them and one in us though we have been invited now we are not God but there's going to come a time when we die and we go to glory or when Jesus returns That we will become one with him we are already co-members of his body and we become invited into God's family and we become into a place of unison with the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. That is amazing, most fantastical miracle that now you might think, where are you getting this from? Because I've never heard this anyone say this before. All the early church fathers believed it, it's, it's all a part of early Christendom, it's what they believed, in fact certain sections of the church still believe it. It's, it's again, it tends to be the modern, day, the modern day evangelical church, they've kind of drifted away from the reality of this, but if you think it through logically and look at all the scriptures, it, you'll come to the same conclusion. God took on humanity so that he could then enable us to take on his divinity so that at the end of the age we can be married to God Almighty. That is the point of the church being the bride of Christ. And at the end of the age, at the consummation of the age, at the wedding feast of the Lamb, then finally the church and the Messiah will consummate their marriage and we shall become one. That is our destiny. That is our hope beyond the grave. That is the power of the resurrection life. When we get baptized, we've got a baptism coming next week. Again, baptism. Yeah, it's going to be fun. So again, baptism, it represents dying with Christ and coming up to new life in Christ. And being resurrected with him and seated with him in heavenly places, as it says in Ephesians chapter 1 and chapter 2, seated at the right hand of the Father, far above all powers and principalities and dominions and rules and authorities. Hallelujah. When you begin to think on these things, you realize that Christianity is not just another religion or another choice of choices, it is beyond anything anything that anybody has ever thought up or dreamed it is beyond fathoming what God has done for us and that's why it says in John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave us his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life with God almighty <laughs> hallelujah Hallelujah, that we, 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 we join in with the glorious uh, Trinity of God. We are not God, but we join with that. And we join with him in a way that's beyond anything, beyond our imagination. You know, I remember when I first became a Christian, you try and think about what's heaven like. And, you think, and people say, oh, when you're in heaven, you'll be praising and worshipping him all the time. And being a young Christian, I'm going, that sounds boring. Because my only point of reference was, and I love my church back then, it was a C of E church. You know, shine Jesus, shine, we can do this forever. Fill this land forever with the Fathers. That sounds a bit boring. Because that's the reason why we think these things is because we're thinking with the natural and we haven't taken our mind up into the heavenlies and have not thought that whatever God is and whatever he does is far beyond anything you could ever, ever even dare to think or imagine by his power that is at work within us. God is beyond your understanding. He's beyond your realm of your intellect. He made you. He has to be beyond those things. You know, a lot of people say, oh, well, Chris, you know, scientists have disproved God. I was speaking, to, we were out with the youth group the other day. And Claire, where are you, Claire? Oh, she's doing Sunday school. She's embarrassing, mate. She's like, one of, She's one of those people that tell everyone about Jesus. I, I don't... I don't know why, I just like, you know, hi, I'm Chris. And she's like, she's like so uh, these, these guys, I've mean, never seen them in my life. So uh, what are you doing here then? Uh, well, you know, we're just hanging around, yeah? So, so what's your names? Um, if I'd said this, I'd have been told where to go by now. And she's like, well, what's your name? And she's like, oh, it's Toby. <laughs> I told all their names. And then she's like, so do you believe in Jesus then? And I'm like, oh man, straight in. Straight in there with the jugular. <laughs> okay, just straight in there. And, uh, and then one guy went, um, no, I believe in science. And I'm thinking, okay, by that answer you've just given, you really don't know much about science. You really know, because this is what we're told. We're told, you know, in our textbooks at school, let me give you an example of our textbook at school, which they still have in today's science lessons, like, for example, this, uh, this chamber, and they put in all these poisonous, toxic gases, and they managed to create amino acids, Therefore, it proves that through chaos we can create life from the most awful of circumstances. It was disproved as a fake back in like 1930 something or 1940 something. But it's still in school textbooks. There are loads of scientists out there who say, no, we don't believe in evolution. We know that evolution can't be a thing. And these scientists, they're not necessarily believers in a God, but they believe in intelligent design. So if you say, I don't believe in God, but I believe in science. Well, which science is it that you believe in? Is it atheism science? Is it science that believes in intelligent design? Is it science that believes that everything evolved? Or is it science that believes that things were formed by some intelligent source? And I say this to people and and they always just like it goes in one ear and out the other. There's a a top Harvard uh, biology professor who's won Nobel Peace Prizes for biology. And he's on the record as saying there's only two ways the earth came into existence, either through um, evolution or through the hand of God. He said, but Louis Pasteur disproved evolution 150 years ago. Therefore, I cannot and will not subscribe to the fact that the universe was created by God. Therefore, I believe that which is improbable and impossible because he couldn't cope with the fact that there is a God. He would rather believe the lie than believe the truth. And this is a guy who knows what he's talking about. This is a guy who does, you know, biology. He's a top Harvard University Peace Laureate winner guy. He knows his stuff and even he says, it's on record, God is real, evolution is a lie. But you tell this to people and it's still like, yeah, I just believe in science, because I asked one guy once, I said, let's, let's get to the point. I said, if science proved tomorrow that God was real, would you believe in him? No. And there's the reason. Your science that you're saying is really a smokescreen for actually that, what your heart is really saying. When your heart is saying, I don't want to believe in God. I don't care if he's there or not. I do not want to believe in him, because that's really the atheism of the West. People really, there's, there's people out there just generally have no idea. But there are people out there who are atheists, and they know they're atheists because they hate God, which is completely ironic because technically they're not an atheist. <laughs> Can't hate what's not there. Since therefore the children share flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared the same things, so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. Now, read that very carefully. You may not have noticed this before. We all know that Jesus destroyed the power of death, but that's not actually what it says. So that through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death. Destroy who? The devil. Destroy the devil. Hallelujah. So when Jesus died on the cross, it wasn't just for our sins and it, and, and it wasn't just so that he could die so that we could you know, uh, be changed and made like, just like him. But it was also to deal with the whole issue of the devil and the angelic rebellion. Jesus did that, and that's why it says in Colossians, at the moment of the cross, I mean, do you know what? They didn't see it coming, did they? They put him on the cross and that finally we have killed the Son of God. This is the demon speaker. Yes, we've got him. He's dead. He's a goner. Ha ha ha! How do you feel about that, Jesus? And then he dies. In and in an instant, something has changed. But no one, I probably guess, quite realised it instantly. But as it says in Colossians, in the moment of his death, he disarmed powers and principalities and the works of the devil. Oh, and brothers and sisters, humanity, which Satan had thought he managed to, they were low to start with. But now that they've fallen, they were the lowest of the low and he didn't have to worry about them anymore. Now, all of a sudden, people who started believing in Jesus... What? That person who just became a Christian there, can you you see what I'm seeing? He looks like he's clothed in the glory of God. He looks like he's clothed in Jesus' righteousness. He looks like he has power and authority over me. And then all heaven let loose. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. As the message of Christ went throughout the world and people were giving their lives to Jesus, and suddenly where there was darkness in the world, light was coming back into the world through his son. And the church is the body of Christ. Hallelujah. And that's why Jesus said as in Luke ten nineteen, he says, I've given you power and authority to tread upon snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means harm you. <laughs> Hallelujah. Because when that moment you get born again, in that moment you give your life to Christ, you get baptised and stuff, you are then taking on his rights. You're taking on his name and you're taking on his authority. That you then, as the body of Christ on the earth, are authorised and deputised to do harm to the devil's kingdom. It brings a whole new uh, slight to this whole kind of Christianity where it's like, you know, Christianity is a wonderful religion because it's, it's humble, it's gentle, it's kind. But it is so, so powerful. So, so powerful. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so I never want you to think ever again. Oh, I'm just a Christian. Oh, I'm just this and I'm just that. That understand something. The God in eternity past looked for a bride for his son, created the earth, created humanity, worked through humanity so he could be born into humanity, to save humanity from itself and save it and recreate it. As it says, in, I think it's in Second um, Corinthians 3, it says, or 1 Corinthians 3, it says, we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. And we are now made in his image and in his life. Likeness, going from one degree of glory to another, to another, to another. This is the deep, deep mysteries of God throughout eternity. And this was always God's plan from the beginning of Adam and Eve to the end of the age. Looking for a bride for his son and looking to redeem those lost and bring them back into his family again. So the day will come again where we can walk with God in the cool of the day. But in a way that far transcends what Adam and Eve had, we will be far beyond that. Book of Revelation talks about the ultimate end on the new heaven and the new earth, where God, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit come down and live on the earth with mankind for the rest of eternity. This is God's heart for you. This is God's plan for you. And I want to finish with this. It means that your existence is so important people think oh you know i was an accident my mom and dad didn't mean to have me blah 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 without realizing just how precious a human soul is to god you know i know it sounds cheesy but it's true if there was only one person on the earth at that time that was lost and without god jesus would have still gone to the cross and would have died for them And I want you to think, you know, that that famous scripture where it says, for God so loved the world, I want to put your name there. For God so loved, you know, I'll put my name in. For God so loved Chris Wickland, that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Isn't that a wonderful God we serve? Glory be to Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen.